The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I hope you're doing well this morning. Um, There comes a time every single year every single year, where I get to the point where I say, yep, I am done with summer. (laughs) Um, Church, that happened to me this week. I am ready. Oh, I'm ready for it to be done. Anyone else ready for fall? If your hand's not raised, you're crazy. You are crazy. Um, Okay, if you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and grab them and uh, open with me to the book of Jonah? Um. We began a, our journey together through this book last week uh, as we stepped in, and, and I will admit, I started rather slowly. I got through a whopping three verses. I promise you I'll go a little bit quicker this morning. Um, but if you weren't with us last week, or if you're here and you would love a refresher, let me get us caught up on where we are before we jump, we jump in. So our book starts with Jonah the man, God's man, God's chosen Guy And God comes to him and says, arise and go to Nineveh, call out against it. So Jonah, being the obedient prophet that he was, decides to run, but not to Nineveh, run the opposite direction, I guess sail the opposite direction, about 2,000 miles the opposite um, direction. And, and as we were talking about last week, some of Jonah's objections, one of them being, Lord, not me. Like, if this is your plan, if this is what you are going to do, if you're really going to show up and forgive those people, Lord, not me. I'm going to run. If you want to get this done, do it by some other means, just not, just, Lord, not me. And then also Jonah was saying, Lord, not them. Like, those are dirty people, pagans, brutal enemies. They deserve justice for what they've done. Lord, not them. So I'm going to I'm going to run. So Jonah decides to step onto this boat. And as we talked about last week, this stepping onto the boat would have been Jonah's loud and bold proclamation. Lord, I know what you asked me to do. No. Not going to go where you called me to go. I'm not going to do what you have called me to do. Have we ever had one of those Jonah moments, right? Maybe you didn't get on a boat to do it, but how many of us have had this, right? This was Jonah, and so he gets on this, this boat, and he sets sail to the, uh, basically the end of the known world is where he's, where he's headed. Um, and that gets us to where we need to be in our text. We're actually going to pick up in verse 4. Uh, in verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a, a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. I love the verbiage here. Then the mariners were afraid, and, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So Jonah's running. God sends a storm. Not only sends it, but hurls it. Just, just hurls this great storm. Not just a normal one either. This was a storm that was threatening to break the boat apart. Like threatening to break it apart. And, and so much so... Um, that these sailors, who were experienced sailors, looked at this, looked at what was going on. It's like, nope, this is not going to end well. 
This is not, this was a scene of absolute panic. And we don't know much about these sailors before this point. We don't know if they were religious, for example. Um, there's this saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. Um, that's potentially what we're seeing here. That is, you get closer to death, it, it does something in us that we want to cry out to something beyond ourselves. We want to call, call out something beyond ourselves. And that, that was, was Jonah. These men, these sailors, were from a polytheistic culture, which means they all had their gods. They were all, uh, and so in this moment, what's, what's really happening is, is they're desperate. So they're like, I'm going to call out to this one. You got that one. You get that one. Who do you want? Okay, get that. And let's just, maybe, just maybe, it, that one of them will listen. Just death was on the way. And so hurling things over the side of the boat and calling out in hopes that, that, that someone out there would listen, it was their last-ditch effort to live. And I want us to picture that scene. Picture that scene. Like, you can kind of put it in a movie, if you will, in your, in your mind. You picture this scene. Now, what was our boy Jonah doing in this? Let's, let's look. So, Let's continue. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. That's cute. Um, it's funny, right? We're all about to die, and, and the ship's about to be torn apart. And Jonah, oh, Jonah, you are the one who knows the one true God. You're, you're, where are you? Jonah, the one who might have an idea of what's happening here, why this is happening. Jonah is fast asleep, snuggling up. With his little little blanket, I don't know if he had a blanket, but he's snuggling up in the belly of this this ship, and and so the captain does what he the only thing he knows to do, and, and he says so the captain came to him and said, "What do you mean, you sleeper?" Obvious question. Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might or we may not perish. So get up, Jonah. You see what we're doing here. Each one of us has kind of taken our God. Could you, I don't know who you serve, what God you call God, right? But if now's the time, Jonah, join in with us and you call out to whatever God you're worshiping. Maybe, maybe he'll have the power to stop it. Maybe he'll be able to step in because without some sort of supernatural intervention, we will not make it. We're not going to make it again. This is an absolute desperate scene. So they shift into some desperate measures. Let's look at what they do. Um, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots, that we may know um, on whose account the, this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So I don't suppose many of us cast lots anymore, but um, maybe you do. But here's what, what it was like back then. So they would get two stones, they would color them differently. So one side would be darker, the other side lighter. They would take these two stones, they would throw them. And if the, the two dark sides were up, uh, normally the answer then is no. They threw it, if two light sides are up, that would normally mean the answer is yes. And if you throw it and you got a dark and a light, that means do it again. It's like the magic eight ball of the ancient world, all right? So, so that's kind of, and, and using this sophisticated system, it fell on, on Jonah as the guilty party. So I want you to follow the train of thought for the sailors. 
They were calling out to the gods, please hear us. And so they thought, okay, well, we'll use lots as a means for them to talk to us. That we're going to toss these things. And their belief was that fate or the gods would show up and would speak through this, through the lots. And um, strangely, they were right. Because the one true God did speak through the lots. And the lots fell directly on that guilty party, fell on Jonah. Now, I, I'm just going to say this. I don't recommend this to be your, the way you make decisions in your life, okay? Um, please don't. Don't get that, all right? I'll, I'll find you. Um, but here's what I am saying. That God has a plan and his will will be accomplished even if he has to use some strange means to get there. In this case, even if he has to use lots, so be it. And so listen to this. They said to him, "Um, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? They're just grilling him. Like, who are you, right? And then Jonah's response. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Okay, don't rush past this. Put yourself in the shoes of the sailors. So for them, running from the gods is not a smart thing to do. It's not recommended. It's pretty foolish that you would just run from the gods, right? Um, But to run from the God of heaven, the one who created the sea and the land, that's a death warrant. These sailors, so if you're telling us, if you're speaking the truth, Jonah, then that means that the God of heaven asked you to do something, and you're choosing to run from him by sailing across the sea that he created. Did you think this was going to go well? Like for these sailors, if you believe what you just told us, Jonah, what on earth are you doing? Did you think this was going, and why did you bring us into this? Why did you bring us? We're just out here sailing. Why did you bring us into, into this? And what a great reminder that can be to us, how foolish we can be sometimes. When we try to run from God, the God that's everywhere, when we try to hide from the God who sees everything and and guard ourselves from the God who knows everything. The sailors got how foolish this was, but Jonah didn't quite get it yet. Uh, And it says, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? That is fair, right? Um, For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said, What should we do? That the sea might quiet down um, for us. Jonah, what should we do? For the sea was, grew more and more tempestuous. So Jonah, you got us into this. You have to know what to do, right? So they're, they're coming to him, and then Jonah says this. Uh, verse 12. He, Jonah, said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, you get the picture as you read this of a, of a defeated and depressed prophet. You get this, this picture of, of a man who is just so sunk down in himself that he's 
he's just broken. I mean, this was once God's prophet, God's mouthpiece. This was once a man who was respected in his land and had um, comfort in his home. He, He was the man, and now he was nothing. He has nothing, and he stares into this terrible, dark storm, and he realizes this is it. This is the way that I end. I am nothing. I am going to die for the things that I have done. You get this darkness, this depression, this defeat when you read this. And, it, and it, it's like they literally enclose around Jonah. The weight crushes him. And then he says, you know what? Gosh, just scrape me up and throw me off. Just, just literally scrape me up off the floor and toss me into death. You feel the weight of this moment. And the sailors, I love these sailors, by the way. Some of my favorite characters in Jonah. They hear Jonah, and here's their response. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They were like, okay, Jonah, we hear you, but I don't want to kill you. So guys, grab the oars. Let's just go. I mean, harder than we've ever gone. Go, 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 go. But as noble as that effort was, um, they were unable to stop God's plan. Because our text says, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And then listen to this. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. For these sailors to pick up Jonah off the ground and hurl him over the side of the boat would be, in essence, to kill him. This was a heavy, heavy moment. And in the weight of this moment, they cry out to to God, Jonah's God, not little G God. They call out to Jonah's God and they say, God, Yahweh, true God, please don't punish us for this man's life. We know, and I love it. They seem to get it. They say, oh, Lord, you have done as you please. They know this is a part of God's plan. And, and they say, Lord, please don't have this blood on our hands. The sailors call out. They see it. And then in verse 15, they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. That's a weird moment. We're going to talk about that. But before we talk about the sailor's final response, um, the storm is huge, right? Ship breaking apart, fear of death. You get this sense that it's all due to this one dude that you have, this passenger. So you throw him over. And the minute, the moment that his body touches the stormy seas, calm. That's weird. Calm. You have to wonder what the discussion was between those sailors in that moment. Like, you know, they didn't want to kill him. So do you, do you think that some of them were like, what do we do now? Like, is it fair for us to toss him a life vest? Like, they see him. Is it fair to toss a rope? Maybe he can drag. Like, what is it? What should we do now? I don't want him to die. Like, I, I, I had to think, you know, was it to where they could see Jonah? So they threw him over, splash, he's flailing. Can they see him? And they're like, guys, turn, look away, look away. They didn't want to do it. 
Or was it too dark? Were they just heard Jonah flopping? What? What a weird moment. This moment would have, would have been. And, um, you know, I believe that verse 16 gives us the best idea of what Jonah's, or the sailor's response was in this moment. Listen to this. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These men see the very power of God demonstrated before them, the one true God. They see it. They experience it. They see the Lord sparing their lives. They, they see this. They see the God who has power over the seas. They see it, and these men respond by fearing the Lord. And this word here doesn't just mean that they were afraid of him, although they had every right to be in that moment. This word means that they, were, they had a reverence in all. There was a submission. There was a fearing the Lord that happened in the heart of these once polytheistic sailors. That, that now they encounter the one and true God through this experience, and it leads them to gather themselves up for a little worship service, to make a sacrifice, and to make some vows to the one true God. That is incredible. I love this. We can't miss this because through the rebellion and the disobedience of Jonah, right, through his rebellion, God sovereignly shows himself to these sailors. So Jonah running from God, running from God's plan, ends up running right into God's plan to reveal himself to these sailors. That right there is incredible. This is God working all things together for the good. This is, and God's plan wasn't done. Um, listen to verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Um, church, the Lord was behind this whole thing from start to finish. Like, we see that the Lord called Jonah, the Lord brought the storm, uh, the Lord revealed that it was because of Jonah, then the, the, the Lord um, appointed a, a fish to swallow Jonah whole. God has a plan, and it would not be destroyed by a rebellious prophet. It's not going to be impeded by Jonah here. God had a plan. So let me just talk for a moment about the big nasty fish. And I, there's three kind of opinions about the fish, and I promise I'm not going to spend long with any of them because I think we'll miss the point if we do. Um, but some look at this, and they take it all as an allegory, meaning there was no real fish, right? The belly of the fish just represents God's protection of Jonah from that boat to the shore, that he was miraculously preserved, and it brought Jonah to the dry land. The, prom the problem with that is, is it really, if you read it like that, it kind of imposes things on the text. Like if you were to just read this text, you don't get the impression that it's poetic or allegory. You, you, when you read it most naturally, it leads you to believe that it means what it says. That's the first option. Second option is that, that God appointed a, a special fish here, one like we have never seen before and never seen again, that, that God literally created a fish specifically for this purpose, to come and to act like kind of an underwater submarine for Jonah, 
getting him back to the shore. Option number three, similar, is that God just appointed a giant fish, one like we would see today, that, that God appointed for this moment, um, giant fish, swallows him, takes him back, and vomits him. Like, that's option number three. So, um, I love speculation, I love theories, and I'd love to talk with you uh, about it. But for a moment, let's just step back and see what the scriptures kind of lay out clearly for us. Here's what God, God's word says, is that, that God appointed Jonah, that, that God appointed the fish, and that the fish vomited Jonah. Okay? It's, it's, it's no more than that. All right, so, so God had a plan and it could not be stopped even if it had to be accomplished through incredibly miraculous means. And I don't care if you pick options one, two, or three. That's all miraculous. Option one I think is crazy, but if you're option one, I love you, right? God did this. God did this. Um, and if, 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 it was a dark moment for Jonah as he stood on the boat looking into the storm thinking, I'm going to die. This had to have been the darkest moment of his life. I mean, in all the children's book, you get this image of Jonah on his knees with roomy space and like a, a fishbone over here, and he's just like praying all neat and tidy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't get that image. As you read this, this would have been a dark moment, three days of absolute anguish, and this was God's prophet in the nasty belly of a fish. This was God's man, and, and I want us to skip down uh, chapter 2, verse 10. Let's see how this thing kind of wraps up here, and the Lord spoke to the fish, that's wonderful, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. What an absolutely miraculous story. Um, but here's what's incredible about this story. This story shows us something absolutely incredible about our God, and I want us to spend the rest of our time kind of unpacking this. I want you to think about something with me. Um, we can think, we can read this story and think, oh, that was Jonah's calling. This was Jonah's calling. That was Jonah's mission to go to Nineveh. That was Jonah's mission. When in reality, it really wasn't. I mean, Jonah didn't even want to go. Um, the mission for Nineveh to tell those people to repent, the mission to go to Nineveh to ultimately forgive those people, right? That mission was not really Jonah's mission. It was God's mission. Like God himself had this gracious rescue mission in, in mind for the people of Nineveh, a people who did not deserve it. And then he called Jonah to be a part of it. He called Jonah to join in. But it was always God's mission. It was always his mission. And, and, and as we zoom out, we, as we zoom out from Jonah's story specifically, we see all throughout Scripture, all throughout history, that God has a mission, a grand and a beautiful mission to, to rescue his creation from the fall in Genesis 3. God has been pursuing and making a way to give his children grace and to show mercy and to bring us back into right standing. And all of this kind of comes to a head in Jesus Christ. This is God's mission. This is God's mission. And in 
many ways. This is why we're even here this morning. This is God's mission. So we can think, follow me, we can think of the Great Commission. Matthew 28 you know, go therefore, make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them. We can think about that, and we can think that our calling in life is to make disciples. Our calling in life is to to know and to share the truth of the gospel, and we can think that that is our mission. Church, it's really not. This is God's mission. This is God's mission. It's the same thing that we see for Jonah and Nineveh, God, this is his mission, and let me just tell you, he is set out to see it accomplished. He is set out to see this accomplished. Now, we are certainly a part of it. We are certainly called to join in. We are certainly a part of it. But the Great Commission is God's mission. This is his mission, and here's why it matters. Our God is sovereign, and his commission will not be stopped. Our God is sovereign, and his mission will not be stopped, even as we act a fool sometimes. I know none of you would act a fool, right? But even if you did, God's mission would go forward. God's mission would continue on. Here's why I say this. This quirky story of an Israeli prophet going to Nineveh, right? He runs, and and. He, these sailors, by the way, wouldn't even have been a part of the original script, right? But, but Jonah runs, and, and because of that, God brings it all together, and now these sailors are brought to the Lord, and that is just awesome because it shows that it is not and has never been about us. It is not and it's never been about us. It's about our God, his mission, and his goodness. Jonah was so busy crying out, Lord, not me. Find someone else, Lord, not me. He was, he was so busy that he didn't see it, that he didn't see the commission of God, the rescue mission of God extending to these sailors. He didn't even see it. In Jonah's attempt to run from the commission of God, he, he ends up furthering it for the glory of God. Like that is just, that makes me feel good. Because uh, I know that, that when I mess up, God, you can still use me like that? Jonah cried, Lord, not me. And God replied, Jonah, it's not about you. It's not about you. And, and so often we are just like Jonah. We're so busy crying out, Lord, not me, that we don't see it. It, it reminds me of Romans 8. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who, listen to this, are called according to his purpose. You may be here and saying, Lord, not me. And I love this because God is telling us through this that, yes, you. I have called you according to my purpose. Every follower of Christ, every Christian who is hearing me, who is in this room, you have been called according to his purpose. His mission, his purpose. And because of that church, we stand on the fact that we know that all things work together for the good. We stand on this and we know. We know that God has a plan and one, it's not gonna be stopped. But, but number two, and I think a lot of us need to just hear this and rest in this, is, is that God really intends to use you to accomplish his purpose. 
He really intends to use you. Let Jonah be a reminder that when God intends to use one of his children to accomplish his purpose, he'll get it done. He's going to get this thing done because he works all things together for the good according to his purpose. God actually intends to use you. I want to I bring this close to home uh, this morning. So a few months ago as a church, we started into something called the Who's Your One Initiative. And um, the idea for this was really simple. The idea is that for every one of us, we're going to stop and we're going to pray for one person in our life. One person that we would pray that, God, would you open the door? Would you use us to share the gospel with our one, with our words that we could share the gospel with? Who is your one, right? That was the initiative. By the way, this is a rabbit trail, but I have to. Um, I got to pray with my one on Friday. Yeah, okay, so this is huge because several months ago, I got the opportunity to share with my one, and it wasn't like the clouds parted. And it was like, oh, we're all repenting. It wasn't like that. In fact, I, I went months without seeing her again. Like, I didn't know what happened. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know until Friday. And on Friday, I saw her, and she comes to me, and she's in tears. And she says, you don't know, but God used something you said three months ago to radically change my life. And I'm, I'm like... I didn't know what to say. I, how cool is that? Anyway, I'm getting way sidetracked. I had to share. But um, the Who's Your One initiative for us as a church was not to invite them to church, which is awesome. I think you should do that. It wasn't to invite them to dinner, which is great. You need to do that too. It was to literally and verbally share the good news of Jesus Christ with one person. That was the charge. That was, that was it. No, I won't ask for a share of hands here, for a show of hands here, um, except for my own. But how many who, uh, who participated in this felt the Jonah response coming up through this initiative? Like I said, how many of us like, like Jonah? We know the mission. We knew what we were called to do. But it would be really cool if someone came and shared the gospel first with my one, and then I could back clean up. Like, how cool would that be? Right? Um, if, if, Lord, if you could maybe use someone else, and me, but use someone else. This Lord not me excuse can rise up in us so quickly, church. And that's why I love the Who's Your One initiative because it, it so simply kind of forced us to address our Lord, not me's. Because all it was was us saying, yes, Lord, all of us together, each one of us, not just the professional Christians, not just the pastors. You have called each one of us to be about your mission and your purpose. God has a plan. He has a mission and he's put it before us. And the beauty, the beauty of this is that he's put this before us and he is sovereign and nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop his commission. I encourage you, if, if you're here and you weren't a part of our Who's the One, Who's Your One initiative, um, this wasn't a one and done kind of thing. You didn't miss it. Um, I encourage you, start, maybe start here. Start here, pray, God, who would you have me 
share the gospel with? Who, who could it be? If you would start to pray that God would open those doors. Because God really wants to use you in church, be encouraged and strengthened because you're a part of something that cannot be stopped. That cannot be, cannot be stopped. We should walk away with so much confidence. Nothing could stop the plan of God and the mission of God for Jonah. And nothing, church, can stop the plan of God, the mission of God for you. Now, I want to push this deeper. And I want to ask you a question. How do we know that? Why? Why is that true? How do we know that God's mission is commissioned? It cannot be stopped. How? Why? How can we say that? I want us, church, to take this in. Um, God's mission to bring people to himself cannot be stopped because his compassion cannot be stopped. The commission of God cannot be stopped because the compassion of our God cannot be stopped. And if you remember, one of Jonah's main objections to going to Nineveh was, Lord, not me. Yes, we talked about that, but then also, Lord, not them. The reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, he tells us in, verse, in chapter 4, was that he knew that God was going to be merciful. He knew that they were going to repent. And then worst of all, he knew that God was going to forgive them. He knew that, and he said, Lord, not them. Don't show your grace to them. Show your justice to them. Lord, not them. Um, but church, God's compassion could not be stopped. Could not, whether Jonah liked it or not, the compassion of our Lord could not be stopped. Um, I want you to do something with me, um, to imagine something. If you've heard nothing else this morning, shame on you, but hear this. I want you to put yourself into the shoes of the people of Nineveh. When we read Jonah's story, sometimes we put ourselves in Jonah's shoes, the sailor's shoes, all good. But imagine for a moment, you're a Ninevite. You're a, you're a wicked person in a wicked city who do, you don't know any better, right? You, um, you're dead in your sin. You deserve judgment. You deserve justice to be brought down upon you. This is you. And yet the heart of God has been stirred for you. And God himself sent a message to you. And he chose his man to do it. And his man acted like a moron and ran the other way. So he just, through extraordinary means, got it back. That his compassion would not be stopped, could not be stopped. Put yourself in their shoes. Our God would go to extraordinary means to show his compassion, and he did. Praise God that he did this for the people of Nineveh. But church, praise God that he did this for you and for me. Praise God. Jonah cries out, Lord, not them, and praise God that he says, yes, them. Because hear me, we are that them. That is not good grammar, but you know what I mean. We are that them. We are those who deserve justice, who are given grace. 
We are them who deserve judgment but are showed mercy. We are them who are dead in our sins but who are made alive. We stand here today because the compassion of our God cannot be stopped. That his mercy and his love and his grace for us cannot be stopped. And we are that them who get to experience this. Praise God that our God says yes, them. Praise God for that. I think as we read Jonah's story, we're reminded really simply that there is not an us and a them. In that there is not the, the us who are deserving or more deserving of God's grace and the them who are dirty, rotten, and don't deserve it. There's no separation. What Jonah's story tells us so boldly and reminds us is there is only one and that one is desperately in need of God's grace. There is no us in them. There is only one. And all of us are in desperate need for God's grace. And we are not deserving of it. In Jonah's story, the people of Nineveh are them. The sailors are them. Jonah himself is them. Church, if we fail to understand that we are the them, then it is impossible. It is impossible for us to look at others with the compassion of God. If we think that somehow we have earned something that they haven't, if we think in some way that we have earned God's grace, then we are going to be slow to show it. If, if we start to, to, to think that we're not like them, if we're not like them, if we start to think that, then we're going to have no urgency in going to them. Jonah's cry was not them, failing to realize that he was them. Church, let's not make that mistake. Let us not make that mistake. My prayer is that our church will be a church who is on mission, that we're going to be a church that is bold and fulfilling the Great Commission and telling our community about Jesus and, and that we're going to be known for this. But more than that, hear me, my prayer is that our hearts would break for what breaks his. That, that we go to them because we realize that we are them. Apart from the grace of God that our hearts break for them, that they may know Jesus. And we're not driven to do this out of guilt or shame. I think if you've grown up in the church, we've all been shamed into sharing the gospel at some point. My prayer is that's not, that that would not be our church. My prayer is that we would be driven because of the compassion of our God. That we would be driven, that, our, that it begins to become our compassion that our hearts would soften to the world around us and that our hearts would begin to break for what breaks his. And just, just as nothing can stop the compassion of our God, church, let it be said of us, imagine if we were that people, that nothing could stop us on our mission because nothing can stop the compassion that we have for the community around us. Imagine if that were true 
of us. My prayer is that we would be a people who are confident that our God has a plan and that plan cannot be stopped. My prayer is that we would be a people who are grateful recipients of the grace of God and the compassion of our God that we know cannot be stopped. And church, my prayer is that we will be a people who are on mission for God because our hearts are broken for what breaks his. The compassion of our Lord is unstoppable. And therefore, his commission is unstoppable. And he's inviting you to join him and to join with us on that mission. That's the invitation into something that is bigger than ourselves. And I want us to finish with this. I want to just remind you. And we know that he works together all things for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Church, let us realize that we have been called according to his purpose. Let us realize this, that he works all things together for the good. Let's pray together. God, we are, we are grateful. We are thankful because we realize in this moment that we are in fact the them. Ephesians tells us that we, while we were dead in our sins, dead in our sins. But God, you showed your love. You showed your grace. We realize that we are here because of that but God moment. And so our hearts break for those in our city and our community who have not seen and, and experienced and known the goodness of your gospel. And I pray that in this moment, our hearts begin to break for that. I pray that in this moment you begin to bring to our minds someone that you have in our path that we can share the good news of the gospel with. I pray that you bring someone right now into our minds. And then I pray as we go out of this place that then you would present open doors. That you would use us in your mission. And I just pray that right now, even in this moment, that our hearts just begin to break for the lostness that surrounds us. Even right now in this, in this room, as we just take in the realization that all around us right now is a lost and dying community and city. And I just pray you break our hearts for that. It has to start there. And Lord, I just pray that you use us that you strengthen us and that you show us that we have all that we need to accomplish what you have put before us. And as you said, you will always be with us. And I just pray that you help us realize that. In Jesus' name, amen.